0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 Podcast, where we get together every fortnight, and sometimes more often, to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic. My guest today is Jeanette Turner, a public health and wellness leader here in Minneapolis. Jeanette has her master's of public health and is also a certified health coach. She ran her own natural foods education business for over 13 years that included an online meal planning tool. She was most recently with Health Partners, where her title was Citizen Healthcare Program Manager, Health Coach. I'm really looking forward to exploring her journey today. Jeanette, it's lovely to have you on.
1: It is lovely to talk to you. Thank you.
0: It's just been so long since we've talked. I feel like we have a bit of time here to catch up and to kind of go through how you got to where you are today. Yes, I was trying
1: to remember when I was at 10-7, what year that was.
0: Yeah, I looked that up as well, actually, and I believe it was 2013. 2013, so, all right. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Let's go back a little bit before 2013, though, um, and talk about when you first developed your interest in natural foods. I-, I believe my understanding is that you were at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and that's where you got your initial interest there. Tell me how that all started
1: well i um I was studying women's studies and botany and French, none of which have anything to do with nutrition and uh I was living though in um a housing cooperative so there was a giant house and there were thirty you know college age kids who were living there and I called it the hippie <laughs> co op and they did we did you know we ordered our own food and um I, that's really where I learned how to cook, and it caused some problems later because we were feeding 30 people. So I was cooking with my cooking partner, and you know we were measuring things in pitchers, not cups. And that's really where I, you know, first encountered eating beans and grains, and um, I learned a lot about vegetables really because i didn't grow up eating very many um and yeah that was it it was really fun i still miss it actually that kind of large community everybody eating together really fun you know of course you're 20 years old so everything is fun then
0: (laughs) did you guys sit down for the meals and kind of prep for it or did everyone just kind of eat buffet style How, how how did that look
1: Well, um, for dinner, we all sat down together and anyone who was home and ate together. And then, you know, leftovers would be put in the fridge and anyone else could eat it when they, you know, wanted to. And then everybody was responsible for their own breakfasts and lunches. But dinners were a communal affair and it was really nice.
0: And that went on for four years?
1: Well, I actually only lived there for two years. Um, I was in the dorms my first year and living with a friend my second year, but I wasn't learning to cook then.
0: Wow, that's a really different approach to eating food when you're in college than what I would expect um, generally happens, which I'm sure involves a whole bunch of fast food.
1: Well, what it involved for me my, in the first year, it was just dorm food. And in my second year, I, I really didn't know how to cook. I, my mother didn't cook much. I didn't learn it at home. Um, I just ate a lot of macaroni and cheese and ramen and you know, peanut butter sandwiches and food like that because I, I didn't know what else to do.
0: And when you taught yourself to cook in these important years, you obviously took it to the next level after you left college. What, what happened after you left? How did that evolve?
1: well, immediately after I left, I came home and uh, lived with my mother again. And again, she was not much of a cook. I remember this very clearly. I had been home and I was, you know, wanting to show off all of my, because I had a younger sister at home and I was wanting to show off all my new cooking skills. So I was doing a lot of the food prep for our family. At one point I came in the kitchen and my mother was stirring up some frozen orange juice, you know, or you empty the frozen con- from concentrate. And she said, you know, it's just so wonderful having you home. I'm so glad you're here. Um, but gosh, I've just been cooking so much. And I was kind of shocked because I said, you know, I was like, mom, I have been doing all the cooking since I've been here. What are you talking about? And she said, well, I'm cooking right now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just a a really good example of what my mother thought cooking was, was, you know, making frozen orange juice (laughs) concentrate. So, came pretty far.
0: At what point did you decide you needed education around natural foods?
1: Well... I didn't think I was going into any kind of food business at the time. um, And I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, my major, again, was women's studies. And then I had minors in botany and French, which um, I didn't, you know, people weren't really running to come and hire me with that. (laughs) And I didn't know what I wanted to do anyway. So I was working at a record store and then a bookstore and while i was working at the bookstore i started i was they put me in the cooking and self-help sections to shelve and things and i started reading the books and um, you know, because sometimes it gets boring at the bookstore, and you can stand back there and just kind of look at things, and so I started reading books, buying books, deciding I needed to learn how to cook more, and I got really into a very extreme diet that I am not recommending, but it was part of my journey um, called Macrobiotics, which is essentially vegan and based on a theory uh, Jap- a Japanese philosophy about thin things, foods being either yin or yang, and trying to balance that. Okay, really no scientific basis there, (laughs) Um, but it was you know I what it did was really make me uh, aware of what I was eating, and I did I did learn things doing that, and then I decided I'd been doing all this cooking and practice cooking, and I you know took a couple classes in macrobiotics at the local co-op, and. I started cooking for people from my home, and working at the bookstore part time, and well, and then working at the Electric Fetus record store part time, um, where I met my husband and your wife. And
0: <laughs> you had worked at the Electric Fetus. That's
1: so sweet. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I was working part-time at the fetus and cooking for people. And I would do all this cooking in my very tiny kitchen. And people would come to my house and pick it up. And then I decided I needed more education. So I'd read a book called Food and Healing by a woman named Anne Marie Colbin um, that I discovered at the bookstore. And it turns out she had a natural food cooking school in New York City. And there was also a natural... Nutrition program, a different program unrelated to her school in New York City, in, and it was called Gulliver's Institute. It is no longer; it got kind of changed into a different thing, um, different people coming in. And um, but at the time, it was a three-year professional nutrition program. And so I moved to New York and went to school for the natural nutrition program. And I also took classes on the side at the Natural Gourmet Cookery School, and that is where I, you know, I learned more cooking and nutrition.
0: I, I want to talk about Gulliver's Institute. Like you, you had you had just talked about yin and yang and the theory and how it wasn't scientific. Were the things you learned at Gulliver's Institute scientific? Like, what did that program look like? It
1: was a combination because they really did, you know, they did bring in actual nutrition. And then there was also a lot of Japanese philosophy in the program. And the first two years I was there. And then the third year I was there, I I was managing their kitchen for them in exchange for room and board director of the program, I think, was kind of having his own personal fallout with macrobiotics, and he started bringing in a bunch of people who had very different theories. Well, at the time, um, I had been getting stricter and stricter with my diet, and cleaner and cleaner, as they would describe it, and I was actually getting sick, and my health was suffering. And so, at some point during my third year there, the light bulb finally went off. Like, this is not... It's not that I am not doing this diet perfectly enough. It's that this diet doesn't work for my body. And that was a huge problem for me cognitively at the time, like just the dissonance, you know. It, It felt like I had been putting... A lot of my energy and a lot of my personality had was I was really into this diet. And so, you know, and I'd been telling other people how great the diet was and how everybody should eat this way. And I was just really kind of fundamentalist about it. And which I now, in retrospect, understand as early stages of B12 deficiency. Oh, Uh, yeah. If you don't get enough B12, it makes your thinking very black and white. And it just becomes more and more rigid, and eventually you get permanent brain damage. But thank goodness I did not make it that far.
0: Oh my goodness, I had no idea. Yes,
1: so sometimes when, you know, there's a reason that vegan, like there's a lot of stereotypes about vegans being rigid and very black and white, and it's because of B12 deficiency. I mean, I was an example of that. So I had to kind of readjust my thinking first, and I remember talking to my best friend and saying, you know, gosh, I've been promoting this diet, and I think it's not working, and now I don't know what to do because I really believed in it, and it was like this just major issue for me. So I kind of made peace with it, and then I jumped into another dietary plan, this one much more balanced, but also with its own kind of weirdnesses, um, in the traditional foods movement and these people were into kind of preparing foods the way they have always been traditionally prepared which involved things like soaking grains um, and making sure that the quality of animal products you're eating is very high you know grass-fed animals not feedlot animals um, mm-hmm. those kinds of issues a lot of mm-hmm. you know homemade fermented foods but then and I and I still believe in a lot of those um, I think that's it's very smart. And but what I did not appreciate was, I think when there's a lot of a kind of a fundamentalist attitude about diet. Mm. So I had gone from one extreme to another, and both sides were saying they are completely the one true way. Kind of it's like a religious feeling, like this is the way to eat. And um, I was, you know, sensitive about that after the first time around. So I was seeing it. In this, other, you know, in this other program, I guess, and I just didn't want it to get that way. Do you think, do you think there is a way to eat? Well, I do, actually, but with a lot of ca- caveats. I mean, I guess no. I don't know if I think there is or not. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there is one true way that works for everybody.
0: So it, it, it's specific to who you are and what you're like and what your body type is like.
1: Well, yes, but that's going to change throughout the year. I mean, what you need when you're 20 is different from what you need when you're 50. And if you're pregnant, what you know, that's different from what you need If than if you're an athlete. And that's different from what you need if you're a senior citizen and, you know, or if you have a digestive problem or, you know, there's all sorts of things that are going to determine what works for you, not least of which is what you have the bandwidth for in your life. Because one thing that I saw a lot in the traditional food circle, which, you know, again, great quality food, but there was a lot of people, mostly women, doing, spending their whole lives in the kitchen. And, you know, like, it, and it's fine if that's your hobby, for a long time, I was diet was my hobby and food was my hobby. And that's fine as long as you're enjoying it. But if you have another life, like, for example, you want to work and take care of your kids and, I don't know, have some fun once in a while or do other things, um, y- you can't be spending that much time in the kitchen. And so there's got to be a way to make it more accessible and make it, you know, appropriate for your own life.
0: Yeah. So, so Michael Pollan's advice, eat food and not too much, mostly plants. Is that, then, is that still a good rule of thumb? Or what do you think of that statement? That It's always around in my head somewhere, that thing, you know.
1: I think it's mostly true. Though I think the mostly plants idea makes it sound like you have to be a vegetarian and you don't. So maybe if you qualified it with mostly plants, if you could put some plant-eating animal food in that.
0: So that's kind of the thing that I've always been stuck on with those seven words is like the last two, mostly plants, because it really does kind of say you have to be a vegetarian. And I honestly don't think that that's what what that's trying to say, right? Like, it's not saying that meat is bad, fish is bad. It's just saying most of the things you eat shouldn't be meat. And fish.
1: Right. right, I think so. I mean, Michael Pollan himself is not a vegetarian. He eats meat. I think how much animal food you want to eat. I mean, it's more than just meat and fish. There's eggs, there's dairy. It kind of depends, you know, how you how you feel about that. I mean, obviously, you don't want a diet that's all meat, because there's no fiber in that. (laughs) And animal food, there's no fiber in that. And you need fiber and you need vegetables. I'm a believer in vegetables. But you know, some people just don't do as well on a vegetarian diet. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Um, I got really sick being vegan. I think that animal f- it's good to include some animal food in your diet. It doesn't have to be meat. It could be eggs. It could be dairy. It could be fish, you know, whatever you want. And how much is really up to you? What I have found is that working with clients over 20 years is that when people have balanced meals... And by that, I mean proteins, carbs, dietary fats, vegetables, you know, or fruits at their meals. When they get more of those kind of dietary components at the meal, they are more satisfied with the meal. They have fewer cravings for sweets, fewer cravings for, you know, unhealthful foods, and they just feel better overall. And so the question for me isn't exactly should I you know eat meat or not or should I eat this or X, Y, or Z. It's how are you putting those things together in your meal? And is it working for you? Because there's a lot of people who eat you know cereal for breakfast and it might be whole grain healthy cereal and they're hungry an hour later and they're eating the, the candy from the dish at work.
0: You reminded me of um, the steady energy train. The <laughs> steady energy train. <laughs> Tell the listeners what that's about. (laughs)
1: Um, So most people are on what I call the sugar roller coaster. And when you eat a meal or snack that is only carbohydrates, especially refined carbohydrates or highly processed carbohydrates, like a lot of breakfast cereal, white flour, sugary type things, sweet things, it spikes your blood sugar. And then after your blood sugar spikes, you crash. And when you crash, you start to get, you might get headachy or irritable, or you might have intense food cravings, or you just want something, you know, you need, you, need a, you need a donut, you need a coffee, something like that to pick you up to lift your blood sugar. Over time, if you keep going up and down like that, you, you will get type 2 diabetes. But aside from that, it just, it doesn't make you feel good. You are on this sugar roller coaster. If instead of eating all carbohydrate meals and snacks and going up, you have a balanced meal that's got protein and vegetables, say, for example. It's like you're buying your ticket for the steady energy train. Your blood sugar does not spike, and then you do not have the crash. You are steady for a few hours, and then eventually you start to get hungry. But it becomes on, you know, it's not like all of a sudden, this instant I need some food. It's more of a gradual coming on of hunger, and then you can eat some food. And then you have a good choice in your food. What do I want to eat? And then you can make that decision. Whereas if you are in a blood sugar low, it's really hard to make a helpful decision about food because your body is saying, I need to raise my blood sugar quick because I'll die if I don't. And that's true. <laughs> and so you're just going to grab something, whatever is the fastest thing.
0: So the so your body is actually tricking yourself into selecting those sugary uh, so it's kind of like a vicious circle. It is. If we spike and come down, we're not able to make that solid decision to eat something that isn't going to cause my so- cause the blood sugar to spike again. Correct. Whereas if you're on the steady energy train and it starts to taper off, you have more of a cognitive ability to make that better decision.
1: Exactly. Uh
0: I love it. I I recall when you visited us in our office and gave us your program for a number of weeks, and we all sat in our conference room. Uh, this was back when we weren't fully distributed. <laughs> we drew a little train on the whiteboard and wrote Steady Energy Train up in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> one of the other things I remember is you talked about getting a variety of things in your meals, and one of the things you suggested was something very simple, simple like adding spinach to your eggs in the morning yeah and getting that kind of variety and like i do that all the time now because of that suggestion so like those are the two was at least the two things that um i remember and that stuck in my brain tell me about that why why is that variety so important
1: well the wider variety of foods that you eat the wider You know your nutrient profile is, really. And you get a lot out of green vegetables. I mean, they are loaded with nutrients, especially magnesium, which is the kind of the stress mineral. If you're low in magnesium, then your body can't handle stress as well. And you feel more stressed by regular stressors. So if you have a breakfast that has spinach and eggs in it, um, you're getting good quality protein that's going to keep you on the train. And you're getting this, like, nutrition shot with the spinach. So, I mean, it's a great combination. And then I would probably have a piece of, you know, whole grain toast with that, with butter. Jelly if you want. It's all good, (laughs) you know. But making sure that you're you're getting that protein. And, you know, not everybody is wanting vegetables for breakfast, though I think it's a a great idea. But even if you don't, just getting the protein is going to make you feel better. I mean, could you tell a difference when you get a good breakfast like that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one of the like things I love doing in the mornings is um making that breakfast with Susie. And when I don't, when I have an early meeting or I have to, you know, skip a skip the meal in the usual way, I like I am down downstairs again in the kitchen looking mm-hmm. for a hit. Yep. I yeah. think it's exactly what you described.
1: I mean, it's just it's a physiological thing. It's not like I mean, a lot of people I think, and this is an unfortunate thing, is that a lot of people view food as um, something they have to control because they're worried about their weight. And so then they think, well, I I don't want to eat very much for breakfast, you know, because of weight or whatever. Or if I eat eggs, you know, that's going to be too much somehow. Um, But then it's just like shooting themselves in the foot. Because if you don't eat that good breakfast, then you're, you know, you're buying the ticket for the sugar roller coaster. And ultimately, that is not getting you where you want to go.
0: It's not what you want in life, no. So we kind of talked about this visit that you had to our office and the consulting you were doing. I want to go back just a little bit after Gulliver's Institute you started this company, Jeanette Turner Natural Foods Education.
1: I did. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> I was so young. I was in my twenties, you know. I was like, wow. I think the way that most people do it is they have a real job, you know, for a company first and then they go off and do their own consulting. <laughs> but I did not.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think it's awesome. You you worked at the wedge as well as part of that, right?
1: Well, I was a contractor for the Wedge and I did the um, public classes. So I would teach, you know, classes for anybody to come to, and they were on a variety of topics, you know, food and mood, and nutrition for pregnancy, and, um, nutrition for, you know, digestive issues or whatever, heart health. And then I also did uh, natural foods training for co op staff at most of the co ops around town the Wedge and Seward and Side and. Um, actually, I taught at the co-op in Stillwater and in Northfield, and it was a staff training curriculum that I developed with, you know, HR people at the co-op, really, that had basic nutrition and information so that staff members really know what they're talking about when they're talking about natural foods, you know, like what what are organics, what are the organic standards, what does free range mean, what does cage-free mean, what does pasture-raised mean, like kind of the the words that, customers are going to see on product labels so that staff can intelligently answer questions and then basic nutrition information too and I did that for I don't know maybe 10 or 12 years and it was great I really enjoyed that and I I liked knowing all the people at the co-op because that is where I shop also (laughs) and so that was really helpful just to you know have those personal relationships too. And then you
0: started Dinner with Jeanette, an online tool back in, I think it was 2007. Can you tell me about that? Yes.
1: (laughs) I did that for five years, I think, five or six years. Well, each month I had... 12 meal plans and subscribers they paid an annual fee and then they would have access to the uh, you know I would send them the 12 meal plans and each meal plan was a balanced meal they were they were very simple meals and simple recipes and but they were all balanced they all had proteins carbs fats vegetables i've really worked a lot on recipes. I had, you know, I forgot to mention at the Wedge, I also, they used to have this program called uh, What's for Supper? And every Friday they would have a demo of a recipe and I wrote those recipes. And so when I started, when I started dinner with Jeanette, I was writing a lot of recipes and I was in the kitchen a lot. And so I I really learned a lot about what works, what doesn't, what's fast, what's simple, what are people going to do, what are people not going to do. Yeah, I I really liked it. I liked I got I would get a lot of questions from people, you know, subscribers, and there was we had a little uh, for a while. It didn't it didn't take off the way I wanted it to, but there was a a little blog area where people could talk to each other, mm-hmm. but people weren't talking to each other as much. It was mostly just asking me questions, <laughs> so yeah, I discontinued that.
0: We were very sad when you did. I remember getting the PDFs. Su- Susie uh, was a subscriber. That's right. And I remember. I remember at the beginning, it was about the beginning of every month, we'd get, she'd get an email with a PDF, and the PDF would have the, yes. the, the recipes for the month, and, and we'd be like, oh my God, we got to try these, and, and it, it was um, just such a nice thing to look forward to. Is it something that you're ever considering bringing back?
1: Not the meal planning service, but I am writing a book. And
0: Tell me about the book.
1: So I'm writing it. I haven't sold it to a publisher yet. I am working with a friend of mine who is a uh, writer and who used to work for a publisher. And she's helping me with the how to query a publisher, which is a very intimidating thing for me. And But the plan is for two books. One is how to eat, and the other is what to cook. And so the how to eat part is, you know, it just kind of goes through my basic premise, which is that if you eat balanced meals made from healthful food regularly throughout the day, you will feel better. And it explains, you know, what balanced what a balanced meal is, what healthful foods are, what regularly throughout the day means, everything. And it, you know, kind of goes through breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, feeding a family, how to make changes that last, um, you know, kind of step-by-step things. And then there is a companion cookbook to go with it, and that will have some basic information that people should know how to do. People should know how to, you know, cook a piece of chicken in a pan. I agree. Bake a fish things like that, just really simple things. And then, you know, steam greens, boiled greens, which ones do steam, which ones do boil. And then it's going to have a lot of the recipes. So, if you and Susie have a favorite recipe or a couple favorite recipes, please let me know because it's so hard to choose which ones to put in.
0: Absolutely, I, I will. I will talk to Susie about it, and we will. We will let you know. Um.
1: Okay, <laughs> even one that you're like, we use this all the time. You know, if there's anything like that, let me know because I would be, yeah, very happy about that. I have to be
0: honest and say that I. I don't know which of your recipes we're using because we've used them so much they're just like ingrained in like what we do, but Susie would totally be <laughs> able to know and, and she'll be able okay. to okay so oh can I ask can I, can I ask one more question for Susie oh, sure.
1: <laughs> if if there's any recipes that also that she has like tweaked in any way, let me know the tweaks Oh, yeah or if she's made them easier or anything, and I will put that in there like awesome. My friend Susie says this. <laughs> so that would be great. Sure. Have, so thank you. No Sorry.
0: <laughs> Not at all. I was just going to mention Kenji lopez Alt was a guest on our show, episode 100, and we talked about how he ended up doing the point of view videos he's doing, ended up ha- having that restaurant on the West Coast, how he ended up actually being in the food industry, and he just released a book. Wow. It's a children's book. I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but we'll put it in the show notes. He would be someone who you should absolutely talk to about your book. All
1: right. Well, if you can connect me, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> absolutely,
0: we will. Um, we'll do that. We'll we'll connect the two of you, and he'll, I'm sure, have some advice for you. I mean, his seminal book, The Food Lab, is just an incredible compendium of of things. Yes. And I got it for Christmas last year, and. Susie has been very patient with me as I go through the (laughs) through it trying all the different things that he suggested and all the methodology and I just love how scientific the book is.
1: Yes, it is very cool. My recipes are much are are just really, really simple. I I could never compete with Kenji Lopez. (laughs) I don't but I
0: don't think it's a competition. I think you have a very practical way of addressing a meal and what I love about it is how it tries to get to the essence of the actual meal and something that's realistic that a person who is busy who who has to make the decision that oh I'm actually going to cook something healthy for myself or my family has to make like if there if it's not realistic and approachable yeah I'm not going to do it so I really love that aspect of the way you write and your recipes
1: Well, thank you. I am not a fussy cook. I get inspiration from cookbooks. I like to see, like, oh, they're putting these flavors together. But a lot of times I'll look at a book, and there'll be way too many ingredients. (laughs) And I'll think, oh, that's going to take too long. Forget it. You know, or there's, you know... I mean, if I'm having a very fancy meal once in a blue moon, I might do something like, you know, oven roast a red pepper first before I put it in something else <laughs> or, you know, sauté meat before it goes in the crock pot. But for me, like, the point of the pot- crock pot is you put it in in the morning and you come home and it's done. done. Like, if I have to mess around sautéing things beforehand, like, forget it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? My st- I I just do not have time for that. And so, yeah, my cooking is very... Basic, but from scratch.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, what's your favorite thing to be cooking right now? What do you really love right now?
1: Yeah, no. You know that. You know what popped into my mind, which is not something that I... You know, it, it, there's no recipe for it, really, is um, I've been really into making hot cereal for breakfast with these wild rice pieces you can get at the Wedge. So normally you buy wild rice, and it's these long pieces of wild rice, but these are... It's like... I don't know if this is a byproduct of somehow the, how the rice is processed or not, but it's cut into small pieces. It's like the size of steel cut oats. And so I soak it overnight and then in the morning I cook it up um, with some dried cranberries and walnuts and I serve that with either a little bit of sausage or some eggs, um, sometimes spinach and I I've been really enjoying it. Like, I love the wild rice flavor, and, you know, it's really nutritious and rich in fiber, and I just like starting the day off. I think it's it happened um, during the pandemic, and I think I was looking for some kind of comfort food, and my dad used to always make hot cereal for me for breakfast when I was little, and I just was been have been gravitating towards that again, so... I've been having that for breakfast a lot, and for you know other meals, I eat other things. I, I really like soup. I think it's so convenient. I make a lot of pureed vegetable soups because you make a big pot of it, you can have it for lunches for a few, you know, dinner one night, lunches for a few days, mm-hmm. and it's a really easy way to get extra vegetables in. So I might have a pureed vegetable soup with, you know, a sandwich for lunch, and it just feels really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's nice and warm in the winter.
0: It's really cold outside. It needs to be warm inside. Cold
1: out. I know I went skiing this morning. Oh, um, so brave. And uh, it was so cold that I did not last very long. I had to come back in.
0: <laughs> it's interesting to me that you can make a hot cereal in the morning with wild rice. I always think of things like, you know, malta meal and steel cut oats right. and that kind of stuff. That never crossed my mind.
1: And those are great and then but you could also make hot cereal with you know millet or uh, polenta. My daughter loves I make this thing with millet where I soak the millet and then I drain it and i and now this is gonna sound fussy, but it's really not because you soak it and drain it, and then I put it in the blender with some water till it gets kind of broken up, and then I cook it in a pot, and when it it has gotten kind of malto meal texture, I add a couple beaten eggs and i add a little vanilla in there and some nutmeg and then you get this kind of like custard i call it millet custard and you can also do that with corn polenta so you soak your polenta overnight and then just turn it on and cook it up and once it's polenta texture you add your beaten eggs and you have to stir it really fast so you don't so that it kind of gets custardy and not you know strips of egg in there but you just stir it up and It's great. And then your egg is in the cereal. And that's fun, too. And then I serve it with a little, you know, maple syrup on on top, pecans or something, and it's very tasty. It
0: sounds amazing. Uh, I have to ask the question, what is millet? I have no idea what millet is. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Millet is birdseed. Is it really? Yeah. If you get cheap birdseed, there's those little yellow round... Grains, that's millet. Oh. And I would not actually recommend that you get millet for birdseed because the only northern birds that eat it are house sparrows and they're invasive pests. Oh. So don't use it as birdseed, but you can eat it. And it's a, it's a staple grain in a lot of West Africa. Yeah, it's just a you know, whole grain like quinoa or rice or oats or anything else. It's just a different grain.
0: Well, I'm gonna look out for it at the wedge the next time I'm there. <laughs> at least so I'll know. Wash what it well. Wash it well. Okay. And wash it-, it
1: well because both both millet and quinoa actually have a coating on them that is naturally there, that's made by the plant to protect the seed from insects. And it has a slightly bitter taste. So if you you know, put it the millet in the pot and then kind of rub it or, with add water and then kind of slosh it around with your hand a couple times and you'll see that the water gets very cloudy mm. and then drain it and then you can soak it overnight and then you know drain the old water off and put new water in in the blender with the millet blend it all up just you know a few minutes till it looks kind of white and milky and then put it back in the pot
0: that sounds amazing I I'm we're definitely gonna try that try it call me if you have any trouble for sure <laughs> well one final question. A lot of people struggle with their diets, uh, with what they eat. What is some advice, some high-level advice you could give to people that really want to change, who want to eat more healthily, who, who maybe want to you know, eat more natural foods as, a most, as opposed to more processed foods? Um, mm. what, what's your advice to them to help them just take that first step?
1: Get protein at breakfast like my the very first steps would be you got to have protein for breakfast because if you start off on the roller coaster you're going to be craving stuff and it's going to just set you set you back so get the protein in the morning and then start with making sure you get vegetables at least once a day and this can be anything for you know I've worked with people who really just do not cook at all and but they start bringing you know sliced cucumbers and baby carrots to work with their sandwich instead of chips or even or with the chips but whatever you're getting some vegetables that way you could dip them in hummus you can dip them in ranch dressing it doesn't matter just get some vegetables in or get some you know you can buy that salad in a bag stuff and that would be fine because a lot of people will kind of make half a dinner you know they'll make a piece of meat or so you know or they'll have some pasta but they'll forget the vegetables so If you make sure that you're getting vegetables at least once a day, preferably twice, but start with once, and it can be any kind of vegetable you want, it counts, start doing that. And what happens that I've noticed is once people start getting protein for breakfast, then they're not as ruled by cravings. Mm. And once they start eating vegetables at least once a day, some kind of psychological thing happens where people start to feel like they are a person who eats vegetables, and then they start making decisions, like if they're out at a restaurant that, in, you know, involve vegetables. They think, "Oh, I'll try that. I'll get this," or that They just start to think veg- about vegetables more, and then they're more likely to try more vegetables. And that, you know, and maybe even steaming vegetables. And if you want to start off in the beginning with frozen vegetables, that's fine. Just get vegetables and put butter on them. They'll taste much better. <laughs> and a lot of the nutrients in vegetables are a lot more bioavailable when we have dietary fat. Mm. So you don't have to worry about butter. It's not bad for you. That was a mistake. They've changed their mind on that. Put the butter on the vegetables. You'll like it much better.
0: Wow. You mentioned going out to a restaurant, and I, I didn't know what that was. What is that?
1: <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait for this pandemic to be over. It's Me just... It is, and I feel so bad for the people who own restaurants and their business has just been really taken such a hit, and I want to keep them open. So, we have been trying to get, you know, getting takeout every other week or so just to support our local restaurants that we like and also just eat something different.
0: <laughs> I think one of the good things about the pandemic has been if we try to look at a silver lining, I'm sure that more people are cooking more at home. They are. And that's that's got to bring a smile to your face.
1: It does, indeed. I mean, if you're just cooking at home, even if you're making something that um, you know isn't you know natural food or whatever, you're already better off than if you were eating processed food
0: um, or eating fast food by a mile. I have so many more things I want to say. Um, so I'm go- and I'm going to because we can. <laughs> Can we can we just talk a little bit about what natural foods actually are and why is processed bad?
1: That is a great question and there is no official definition. So, and that's an important point. So, if you are seeing natural on a box of something at the store, it does not mean anything. But the way that I am defining you know, a more natural or healthful food is that it is less processed. In every step of food processing, you, you lose nutrients from the food. And one of the biggest ways that food is processed is that it's refined. So you take a you know, whole wheat, and then they remove the bran and the germ to make white flour. But all the fiber is in the bran, and all the nutrients are in the germ. So you're, you're losing a lot during the refining process. So healthful food is less processed and processing can be refining. It can be, um, you know, using a lot of additives that are themselves processed. I, I think the way that's easiest to think about it is could the food be made in your kitchen or in a kitchen? Um, you know, have people been making this food for a long time? So, Something like cheese. Technically, it's processed because it is not milk. So people have been making cheese for hundreds and hundreds of years. And thousands of years, actually, with sheep cheese. Um, And it could be done in a kitchen. Not my personal kitchen. I don't know how to make cheese. But somebody could do it in their own kitchen. But then when you think about Velveeta, or, you know, cheese spread, that is not a product that could be made in a kitchen. You could bake crackers, but you could not make, you know, a Dorito in a kitchen because of the additives that are used. Um, You could not make a Twinkie in a kitchen. You could not make a cheese puff or a Cheerio, for that matter, in a kitchen. It requires really, you know, giant extrusion machines and high temperature processing. And each step of that, you're going to lose nutrients. So it's what is stripped out of the food in processing, and then what other things that aren't very healthful that's put in like the different kinds of you know flavor enhancing chemicals and you know petroleum-based preservatives and chemicals that just really aren't great for your
0: body so your recommendation is try to eat as much natural foods as possible as much um, of a variety of as possible healthful as you've described them and try to cut processed food out and don't be hard on yourself when you eat and you need to change your diet add small things like add vegetables and get protein in the morning and try to try to be more well balanced
1: yes and i'm so glad you pointed that out because adding things in is so much easier than taking things out i when i work with private clients i do not say oh you need to stop eating that you know or you know, quit, quit that. (laughs) It's more of add these things in, add these things in. And what happens is people really do, you know, change over time and their tastes change. Once you start eating more vegetables, suddenly brown rice is going to taste better than it used to. It really is. And then, you know, instead of saying, oh, you shouldn't eat white rice, let's, you know, let's get there kind of more organically over time.
0: I love it. You've been so inspirational, Jeanette. I always love talking to you, and I just feel like I'm going to go downstairs right now and eat some brown rice, not white rice. <laughs> <laughs> with
1: protein and vegetables, right? So yeah. it's balanced. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. Very good. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. It's, it's just been a great pleasure talking to you.
1: It has been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Jeanette Turner is a public health and wellness leader in Minneapolis. She has her master's of public health and is also a certified health coach. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegic. Thanks for listening.